Hello, and welcome to this episode of Special Ed Rising, No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have over 34 years of experience as a classroom teacher, parent coach, and advocate. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities, but welcomes everyone interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more. Thank you for joining me, and if you like the show, please subscribe, like, comment, and tell your friends about it. Today's episode addresses an uncomfortable reality that has been going on for a long time and one that I was only recently made aware of. It's the practice of schools weaponizing child protective services and other forms of retaliation against parents for advocating for their special education child. This was a stunning revelation for me and so disturbing that I feel it's important to put some wind behind it as families are being greatly affected and even torn apart. After that, stay tuned for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. And for some extra help to inform your journey, visit the resource page of my website, specialedrising.com. Now let's get a little smarter and share another win. A friend of mine recently sent me an article that I'll be referring to in this podcast and will post on the resource page of my website. It's become so concerning to me that I feel I want to do something to bring awareness to it in order that families don't have to suffer the humiliation, heartache, and potential life-altering fallout in its wake. In the article, a couple's son who is autistic and nonverbal and in a special education classroom came home one day from school with bruises on his body. When his parents, the Diaz's, inquired after the school for an explanation, the school turned the tables on them and reported them to Child Protective Services, or in New York, Administration for Children's Services, ACS, accusing them of neglect and inadequate supervision of their child. As I read the story, I was taken aback because it seemed such an outrageous form of retaliation against the parents, and one that seemed so abusive of a system that is meant to protect children from actual abusers. I hadn't heard about this before, but I certainly wasn't prepared to discover how common the practice has been and is today. Since I'm not an expert, I'll be reporting my findings to you and encourage you to do your own research in order to protect yourself from a flawed institution. I know how the system can work, for better or worse, and to that, I can speak personally. As a former classroom teacher, I do have experiences dealing with Child Protective Services, or CPS, and can attest to some of the things I've witnessed and how the service was used during that time. As a New York State educator, I'm considered a mandated reporter and am bound by my position to report any signs of neglect or abuse that I witness. When my students showed up to school with bruises, they were recorded and reported to my superiors. When a student had an accident on school premises, it was documented and reported to my superiors. We could risk being accused ourselves or investigated and returned with a decision of blame for not reporting something egregious to CPS. If mandated reporters fail to report their suspicions and something terrible happens to the child, they can face fines or even jail time and wind up on the front page of a newspaper. That said, a report of this kind is not something to be taken lightly. It has the potential to open up a whole set of uncomfortable and threatening experiences for the family being accused, guilty or not, and it's a difficult decision as a reporter to make because you realize the domino effect it can have on one person's life. So to say it's not serious and consequential is to be missing the gravity of the situation. 
Anytime I was confronted with the specter of having to report or consider reporting, it weighed pretty heavy on me. There were two results that can come from an investigation. Founded, meaning that there is enough evidence to find a person or persons liable for having committed neglect or abuse, and unfounded. I've witnessed inconsistencies with CPS decisions, and there have been situations that seem so clear with evidentiary proof via observation of a child's condition that resulted in minimal to no actions taken to protect a child from further harm. In other words, the decisions were unfounded. And I've witnessed families be found for seemingly minor or questionable at best accusations with not much meat to them. I am aware that I didn't have all the evidence in these cases, so what may have appeared to be a questionable concern might have resulted in more serious findings upon further investigation. However, like any governmental service, cases slip through the cracks, and either very serious situations can be missed and less serious ones given far too much attention and cause unnecessary grief for the family members accused. With that said, charging a family with neglect or abuse is a major decision. For schools to weaponize their mandating powers of reporting is an abuse of that power, and it should be investigated and consequential for those found exploiting it. The article I was given that first made me aware of this issue is from The74 at the74million.org, and it's called They Stood Up to New York City Schools for Their Disabled Child, Then Child Protective Services Arrived, by Asher Lair Small on June 1st, 2023. It begins with this. When their seven-year-old son, Tristan, who is autistic and nonverbal, arrived home from school with bruises and a lump on his head, Bronx parents Louis and Michelle Diaz began to worry. They asked the school to look into the 2021 incident and requested a new paraeducator for their child. The classroom aide hadn't mentioned the injury, despite messaging them throughout the day, the parents said, erasing their trust in her. But the family's search for answers and solutions brought them head-on into a problem they hadn't anticipated. The school pointed the finger back at the Diaz parents, alleging neglect and inadequate supervision of their child. Soon, a caseworker with the Administration of Children's Services, known as ACS, the New York City agency responsible for investigating suspected child abuse, showed up at their door. We were just trying to advocate for our son and find out what happened like any parent would, Michelle Diaz said. This is where the retaliation started. The school's response reveals a startling pattern. Across the nation's largest district, parents and students with disabilities who speak up on behalf of the children say they are being charged with allegations of child abuse or neglect. A tactic advocates say schools use to intimidate parents and coerce them into dropping their concerns. And the numbers to back this up are startling. New York City educators have made more than 3,500 calls alleging suspected abuse or neglect of children with disabilities over the past two school years, according to the data obtained by the 74, through public records requests. Each one triggers an intrusive process that, at its most dire, can lead to the removal of a child from their parents' custody. Yet, caseworkers found evidence of parental wrongdoing in only 16% of the cases, and fewer still go on to withstand judges' scrutiny. In a blog post back in 2012 from blog.foxspecialedlaw.com, they report, no one really knows how often retaliation occurs, but clearly it's happened frequently enough for parental advocacy to be protected by federal statute. Not only do Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 
and the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, protect the disabled against discrimination, they also protect those acting on their behalf to ensure the rights of the disabled. Specifically, Section 504, which references Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, states that recipients of federal funds, which would include school districts, shall not intimidate, threaten, coerce, or discriminate against any individual for the purpose of interfering with any right or privilege secured by the Act, or because the individual has made a complaint, testified, assisted, or participated in any matter of an investigation, proceeding, or hearing under this part. The Office of Civil Rights has clearly defined retaliation as a five-part test to help determine if a family has experienced it. Parents need to show the following to prove their case. 1. Has the student-parent engaged in a protected activity, such as advocacy? 2. Is the district aware of the protected activity? 3. Was the parent-student subjected to an adverse action? 4. Will a neutral third party decide there is a casual relationship or connection between the protected activity and the adverse reaction? And 5. Can the district offer legitimate, non-discriminatory reasons for the adverse action, which a neutral third party will not consider to be pretextual, example of false pretense. According to the 74, New York City school employees made 6,500 reports of abuse or neglect to ACS from September 2022 to February 2023, but only 15% of them were found to be substantiated. Parents of students with disabilities were at the center of 22% of those reports, though disabled children only comprised 21% of the student body. Anna Ahrens, a New York City law professor, speculated that the actual share of calls relating to students with disabilities is likely higher due to school employees' failure to mention a student's disability in the report. We were just trying to advocate for our son and find out what happened like any parent would, Michelle Diaz said. This is where the retaliation started. An allegation can be just like that, one, two, three, and then you ruin 60 days of a family, said Luis Diaz. Paulette Healy, who helps parents during school meetings to press for disability accommodations for their children, told the 74, not too long after those meetings, behavior letters will come home. Unsurprisingly, sadly, Reason.com reports that, like in other parts of the country, black and Hispanic children in New York City are disproportionately likely to be subjected to an ACS investigation. The following is part of a story reported by the HeckingerReport.org. It's entitled, when Schools Use Child Protective Services as a Weapon Against Parents, by Rebecca Klein and Carolyn Preston in 2018. The Illinois Department of Children and Family Services began investigating Tiffany Banks for alleged child neglect and abuse. She says around the time her son started to misbehave in school, and she pushed back on a plan for his educational services. Banks says she feels the school was trying to strong-arm her into transferring her son to a different institution. When her son entered first grade last year, he started misbehaving and making trouble for teachers. He really struggles behavior-wise, says Banks, and at this school, they have a low tolerance for it. The school wanted the boy to enroll in classes exclusively for students with disabilities, but Banks felt differently. Despite his behavior problems, for which he was eventually diagnosed with attention deficit and mood disorders, he did well academically, she said. Banks pushed back, going so far as to make complaints to the city's education board and entering mediation with the school. In nearly three dozen interviews conducted by the Heckinger Report and HuffPost, 
parents, lawyers, advocates, and child welfare officials said the schools occasionally wield this authority in inappropriate ways. Fed up with what they see as obstinate parents who don't agree with special education services for their child or disruptive kids who are making learning difficult, schools sometimes use the threat of a child protection investigation to strong-arm parents into complying with the school's wishes or transferring their children to a new school. That approach is not only improper, but it can be devastating for families, even if the allegations are ultimately determined to be unfounded. Experts also note that because of legitimate fears of overlooking kids at risk and vague definitions of abuse and neglect, school workers may sometimes be overzealous, calling in allegations over relatively minor issues such as broken eyeglasses, inappropriate clothing, or small scratches. In interviews, more than a dozen lawyers said that these investigations disproportionately affect low-income families of color who tend to live in neighborhoods and attend schools that have bigger police and social service presences and whose children are more likely to show markings of poverty that can be confused with neglect. In speaking of the higher incidence of reporting against Black and Hispanic families, it's important to also note that many families that are retaliated against are not wealthy and don't have the resources to fight back. With cases backlogged in systems, many of these families don't have the time or financial situation to hold out, and therefore the school wins in many cases. There's much more to that article, and I'll include it in its entirety on my resource page of my website. I discovered a terrific website from Lisa Leitner called A Day in Our Shoes. She provides advocacy for parents going through the IEP process, and she has a post entitled School and IEP Retaliation, The Shocking Truth About School's Dark Side. In it, she discusses how schools will use reporting to child services along with different forms of retaliation against parents who advocate for their child's IEP. She reports examples such as the most common two, calling CPS on the family and bringing the parents up on truancy charges. And there are other common examples. Teacher retaliation towards a targeted student during the school day. This happens in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's just being cold towards that student. Other times it's specifically denying them accommodations or supports in their IEP and everything in between acting hostile towards parents and siblings, denying services to a child or sibling, and a sibling can be discriminated against, not making sports teams, chosen for theater roles, etc. Some CPS, or whatever the Child Protective Services in your area, agencies, are required to investigate every claim of suspected child abuse that comes to them. And in most states, you can anonymously report, so it's harassment of the family and wastes CPS's resources, but it happens all the time. I want to prepare you as best as I can in this short amount of time by giving you some information to follow up on if you were ever put into this situation. The laws are clear on retaliation. According to the American Bar Association website in 2019, retaliation claims must be strictly alleged and meet evidentiary standard to be successful. Retaliation is a harmful act against a person that is made in response to that person's grievance or participation in an activity that is protected by law. Anti-retaliation provisions in the law are generally tied to constitutional or statutory rights. The purpose of these provisions is to ensure that those who complain about discrimination or a violation of rights are not deterred for fear of retaliation. They seek to prevent interference with unfettered access to statutory rights. 
Parent involvement and advocacy positively affects the educational outcome of disabled students. For this reason, parent participation in the decision-making process regarding a child's educational program is a significant procedural right under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA. The purpose of legislating the role of parents in a child's special education program is explicitly to balance the natural advantage of districts. So how does it work when you want to allege retaliation? To state a prima facie case of retaliation under the ADA in Section 504, an individual must show that, one, she engaged in a protected activity, two, she suffered an adverse action, and three, there was a causal link between the two. Did I say? Protected activity in the school environment comes in many forms, including pursuing one's rights under the IDEA. Advocating for disabled students regarding issues related to their federal and state educational rights is a protected activity under those statutes. An adverse action is one that is reasonably likely to deter the charging party or others from engaging in protected activities. Showing pretext or a justification for an action that is not the real reason for retaliation is on you and your team. Show that the articulated reason is pretextual, either directly by persuading the court that a discriminatory reason more likely motivated the school district or indirectly by showing that the school district's preferred explanation is unworthy of credence. Evidence of pretext is the most critical and difficult aspect of a retaliation claim. As I always encourage, know your rights, know what IDEA and 504 are, and the protections and rights they provide you and your child. I have this information on my website's resource page. Lisa Leitner in her article also suggests, consider getting a good special education attorney and save all of your child's records and IEP paperwork for their entire school career. You never know when you might need it. I'll include all the articles referenced in this episode. Keep a journal of all your interactions in addition to all the times you had reason for concern. Record the incident, who was involved, any communication you had with the school with dates and times. Find an advocate. Again, I have information on the resource page to help you with that, and there are many resources out there. I want to start this conversation. It's a lot to take in, but you need to protect yourselves. It's wonderful if you can come to develop a friendly, positive rapport and or relationship with your school and district and the individuals who are caring for your child during school hours. But just as you wouldn't hesitate to sever those ties to protect your child from an offense you perceive the school to be responsible for, the schools and districts will do the same to protect themselves. It can happen in an instant. Enter with your eyes open and the knowledge you need to question or refute a school's claim you disagree with. And with that said, the best scenario is one where you enter with an open mind as well to meet the school on an equal plane and work together. I believe cooperation and respect is the winning formula at the start of any relationship and a significant one between school and parent. It's time now for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. Today's tip comes from superhealthykids.com. And the tip is to check out superhealthykids.com for delicious, fun, and healthy recipes for your kids. There's a terrific menu of options to make for all your meals and at snack time. Um, Not being sponsored by this website, I simply want to find and suggest things that can help you.
I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, and outpouring of goodness, and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. If you'd like to share some of your success stories with the audience, please send them to my email. Let's show the world what's possible. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising. Thank you.